So I studied many worthy topics in rabbinical school. Am I going to have feedback if I stand back here? No? Jewish history, philosophy, liturgy, Bible, Midrash, contemporary Jewish literature, mysticism, you name it, I have probably taken a class in it. And all of those classes have had immeasurable value, not only in my life as a rabbi, but in my life as a Jew. There is so much richness to our tradition, so much still for me and for all of us to learn. And yet, the class that I find myself going back to in my professional life, more than any other, was a year-long course called Pastoral Care and Counseling. We covered far more than I could begin to summarize here, but one of the central lessons was this. Sometimes, people need more than they are able to tell you. Sometimes you will have to learn to listen to silences, to truths that have yet to be spoken. My amazing professor, Rabbi Nancy Weiner, had an example she would often return us to. She would say, when someone comes to your office just to borrow a book, they always want something more than the book. And she would say it so often that I've almost become overly sensitive, probably to the point of paranoia. So I'm sorry if you've ever really just needed that volume on biblical poetry for Torah study or something else. I hope you haven't sensed that inner desire to ask you, tell me, are you feeling some emotions related to biblical poetry? But jokes aside, what she meant was, sometimes there are things we want to say and we can't. Sometimes reaching out for something small is the window into something bigger. Sometimes we are hurting and we don't even know it until others begin to see that it's there. Another example that Rabbi Weiner might have given in our class comes straight out of this week's Torah portion of Chaye Sarah. Last week ended with the dramatic and traumatic binding of Isaac by Abraham, his father. And this week begins with Sarah's death. Many commentators have said that this is no coincidence, that the grief of almost losing a son to her husband's hand shocks Sarah from this life. All of this means that Abraham, in the wake of losing his wife, breaking trust with one son, casting out another, alone in the world, probably has a lot he is carrying, a lot that he needs to say. We'll see it play out in the opening chapter of our portion as Abraham goes to the Hittite people to ask them for a plot where Sarah can be buried. The conversation that follows offers real insight into this dilemma of speaking and hearing when truth does not so easily come to the surface. Abraham wants a cave and he wants to pay for it. The Hittites want to give him a cave, but they want him to take it for free. 
And at each successive step of the negotiation, the parties go back and forth and back and forth, always beginning their statement with a very unique conjugation of a very well-known verb, the root shin mem ayin, familiar to all of us as a command, shema, listen, or hear. But in this exchange, and the only time it will ever appear this way in the entire Hebrew Bible, Abraham and the Hittites conjugate it a little differently. Shma'enu, the Hittites say to Abraham, as they offer him any plot he desires. Hear us. Shma'eni, he responds. Hear me. If you would only hear me, says Abraham, as he tries to offer money to Ephron the Hittite. And Ephron responds, Shma'eni. And Isabel agrees, listen to me, <laughs> said Ephron the Hittite, and he'll refuse to sell Abraham the land. Listen to me. Listen to us. If only you would hear me. In a passage that is all about negotiation and communication, Shma'eni calls us to recognize that there is much here being left unsaid. Ephron the Hittite says, I'll give away my land for free, but he's also saying, Shma'eni, do you hear me? Do you hear what is behind my words? Perhaps hear my fear that your God will be dissatisfied with my offer. Perhaps hear my pain at losing an ancestral burial place while bowing to our culture of welcoming guests. Perhaps hear me when I say that my family's honor is at stake. But none of that is said. And in Abraham, a poignant Shma'eni, hear me, he says. And as he insists on paying for the cave at Machpelah, we sense, but do not hear, all the unspoken grief for his wife for the circumstances that have brought him alone to this moment. Sell to me the land for full price, he cries. Let me pay for the price of the land. Accept it from me. Shma'eni, hear me. My wife deserves much more than I gave her. She deserves a full burial, a place for my son to come visit her if I ever see him again. Let me control just this one thing. The loss of my money is the only loss that I can accept. When I was in rabbinical school, I spent a summer in an intensive chaplaincy training program at a hospital. And I learned very quickly to listen for shma'eni, for people desperate to be heard. What was the meaning behind the questions that each patient would offer? What truths were too painful or difficult to be spoken straight? It was not easy. Some days I got it really right. The man who asked, what does it all mean? Was not looking for a philosophical treatise. He wanted someone to witness his pain and his despair. And sometimes I got it really wrong. 
The woman who said she had trouble finding things to keep her busy didn't want my chipper list of hospital amenities and activities. She needed someone to acknowledge all the uncertainty, the way her illness had overturned the regular hustle and bustle of everyday life. As we read this story of Abraham and the Hittites, and as I heard the stories of those I served in the hospital, I saw the deep need to open ourselves to hearing the words that others might struggle to say. But the Torah also acknowledges, as the story goes on, that none of us are mind readers. And to place on us the task of always trying to decipher the unspoken shma'eni, hear me, moments in our relationships is no way to be in communication with one another. Sometimes a book is just a book, and sometimes it is not. And always, we won't know the difference without it being said. Which is where the story of Rebecca comes in. Abraham, after finally laying Sarah to rest, goes to his servant and asks him to find a wife for Isaac among his people. The servant travels back to Abraham's native land and he heads for the well, which was the ancient Near East's version of J-Date. <laughs> it was, they all meet at a well. And he meets Rebecca, who proves her worthiness by offering water to him and his camels, and they begin an elaborate dance over family ties and jewelry and hospitality. And finally, Abraham's servant is brought to Rebecca's family, and he, impatient to get back to his master, says to them the equivalent of, can I take her already? <laughs> Rebecca's mother and brother respond with the most wonderful answer. They say, Nikrala ni'ara v'nishala et piha. Let's call the girl and ask her. And then they ask, will you go with this man? And she says, I will. It's good to be listening for Abraham's shma'eni, to be sensitive to the pain and truth that ripples beneath the surface of our interactions. But that sensitivity must be balanced, as it is here, by the model of Rebecca's family. Think how much faster the negotiations over the cave would have been if the two parties had just asked for exactly what they wanted. Think what might have been if Abraham had said something to his wife or his son when God said, bring me your child as a sacrifice. When we feel we are bearing something alone, we need to find a way to tell others. When we don't know what someone needs, we need to ask. It is this asking that will lead Rebecca to Isaac, that will lead them both to love. So I encourage you this Shabbat to consider how you might live the balance offered in Chaye Sarah. How might you listen with more sensitivity and compassion to the unspoken needs of others? And yet, how might you commit to speaking your own needs bravely and asking others to do the same? This Shabbat, may we all strive to create a world 
where everyone can be heard and every truth can be shared. <laughs>